This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 31st, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Doha is dead, but even if the round of trade talks gave trade representatives from India and China the opportunity to win points at home, it doesn't mean the end of trade liberalization. Dan Eikenson, Associate Director of the Cato Institute's Center for Trade Policy Studies, says liberalization will continue even if countries that want to compete globally have to go it alone. Well, I mean, I think the the Doha round really ended in 2003 uh, at the Cancun ministerial. Uh, Since then, there's been a little bit of progress, but uh, really the same divisions exist, the same sort of north-south divisions, the same mercantilist arguments were presented, the same uh, political uh, posturing was offered. Uh, in fact, the, uh, this week's uh, ray of optimism uh, took me by surprise. I really didn't think that the negotiators would get this far. Uh, but in fact, I, I look at it as uh, the United States and Europe actually calling the bluff of the big developing countries, in particular India and China, uh, because the, the U.S. actually did uh, have some pretty decent offers on the table. And uh, the straw that broke Doha's back was a dispute over how developing countries could respond to surges in agricultural in, uh, input, um, sorry, imports. And um, that was an issue that really could have been resolved uh, fairly readily. Uh, but uh, I think the Indians came to the table um, with the intent of going home without a deal. Uh, the, 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 the negotiations were sort of used as a stage for uh, making political statements to the audience back home. I think Kamal Nath, the, the Indian commerce minister, their lead negotiator, uh, saw this as an opportunity to uh, show domestic constituencies that he can stand up to the United States and to Europe. That he created sort of this David and Goliath myth. Um, and uh, I, regrettably, China didn't really uh, uh, offer much constructive uh, input in this process as well. And uh, that could come back to haunt China because, you know, China gets caught in the crosshairs of all these trade discussions we have in the United States. There are a lot of lawmakers who want to punish China. And now if China comes away looking sort of uh, like like one of the villains in this process, it might be easier for anti-trade, anti-China trade messages to resonate. As obvious as the benefits are to uh, liberalize trade to us in the United States, this seemed to be much more obvious to the burgeoning middle classes in India and China are the politicians, the trade representatives, and even the, the people of those two countries just simply relatively satisfied with things moving apace and therefore aren't really interested in a, an agreement? I think that the equation or the calculation has changed since uh, the Doha Round was launched in 2001. At that time, I think India was certainly in the market for a deal, uh, but uh, they've experienced very strong economic growth this uh, this decade, and uh, I, I kind of feel that it's become a bit of, uh, the, the market for trade agreements has become sort of a buyer's market, and India was, uh, 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 in fact, India lowered uh, many of its tariffs over this decade, and, uh, and that's one of the reasons that they've, they've been doing, that their economy has been growing the way it has. The question here was whether or not they were going to be willing to lock those tariffs in. And I think locking those tariffs in was something that would have come at too great a political cost for the Indian trade uh, minister. And as a result, uh, it was 
more in his interest to scuttle the deal than, than to have one. But by and large, uh, trade flows have continued to rise at, rapid, at a rapid pace. I think trade flows are up 70% from 2001 when the Doha round was launched. The global economy, we're talking uh, about 30 to 35% growth since two th- in real terms since 2001. Uh, the global GDP is about $55 trillion, and the benefits uh, of a Doha round were estimated to be somewhere between around $100 billion and $800 billion. So uh, the, the, the failure of Doha is certainly not going to sink the global economy. And meanwhile, countries can liberalize on their own. Many have been doing that. Uh, trade facilitation, overcoming uh, customs um, bottlenecks and infrastructure problems uh, should be at the top of the agenda for many of these countries. Now, one of the uh, options in lieu of a successful uh, Doha round would be bilateral trade agreements, but there have been some arguments about whether or not those are uh, worse than suboptimal. That is, they're actually bad. Jagdish Bhakwadi, I believe, has made something similar to that argument. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but what is the argument there? Uh, well, there's there are a couple of arguments. Uh, one is that uh, bilateral deals are trade diverting. If you give preferential access to a country that is not the um, optimal producer, you're actually diverting trade from uh, be- between op- uh, from the optimal producer and, and, and your market. The other concern is that it creates what what, what uh, Professor Bhagwati calls a spaghetti bowl of rules. It makes it complicated and costly to comply with the various rules. Um, I, I don't. Th- I, I find multilateral trade agreements to also be trade diverting in the sense that you have to wait many, many years to get an agreement. In that sense, that delay is trade diverting. And even when you do get an agreement, you, uh, it could be diverting in the sense that um, my country might be willing to eliminate tariffs altogether, but if another country is only willing to eliminate them halfway, that's the least common denominator. We only liberalize halfway, and as a result, it's it's trade diverting. We're, we're getting more, less liberalization than we would have uh, had we acted on our own. So I think unilateral liberalization is really the direction we're headed in. I, I, there is a lot of concern that we're going to have these regional trading blocks and it's going to lead to, to trade wars and, 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 uh, and problems that we haven't seen in many decades. But I think the, 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 world, I think the world economy is different today than it, than it was 10 years ago in the sense that it's no longer our producers against their producers. Uh, we are countries are competing for investment and markets. You need to be open in order to attract that investment. And, uh, and I, I think countries will find that it is in their own interest to reduce frictions in their supply chains, to, to have a, a friendly business climate, to welcome uh, investment and imports. And in that sense, why do we really need trade agreements? Why do we need additional rules when that is the optimal policy for countries to pursue anyway? Dan Eikenson is Associate Director of the Cato Institute's Center for Trade Policy Studies. You can read his recent analysis, While Doha Sleeps, at Cato.org.